theme this year, as you know, has been feel the passion. Everything about life comes by way of success is encountered as a result of passion. You don't stumble on success. You don't. You don't even recognize it. You, you stumble over, get up, dust yourself off, and keep on going. That's what you do if you don't have passion. Passion not only equips you to seize the opportunity when it comes, it helps you to be able to recognize it. Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, this incredible scripture from the message translation by Eugene Peterson says, seize life. And there it is. Seize life. You've got to get a hold of it while you can. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, the verses we've been using this entire year that has been our theme for this year, these verses tell us that we have a high priest in the heavens that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our needs. What are infirmities? You could say sicknesses. That's, that would certainly be an infirmity. You could say need. You could say our situation, our circumstance. You could say our trouble, our woe, our misfortune. We have someone who is touched by whatever we're going through. And the scripture tells us he was even tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? You get in a bad situation, you may be tempted to take matters in your own hands. Somebody do you wrong? You know what I'm talking about? God, you look over that direction for a minute. I'll fix this one by myself. Amen. That kind of a thing. Or you get into a situation where there's an opportunity and you're low on funds and somebody has left something laying around. Jesus was in every way that we will ever be tempted he also was tempted and yet never once failed. But he understands where we are, and therefore we should come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as I've stressed every time I've spoken this year, what does that mean? It means simply this, that we have supernatural assistance to seize life. You can move God to act on your behalf. That is one of the most powerful things you will ever learn as a believer. That as an unbeliever, you have a ceiling. You have a limit. And once you reach that, that's it. Used up your resources, they're gone. But the believer, once he has reached the limit of his natural resources, there is a God who can be called upon that will come down and do what human resources could never do. Because his resources are unlimited. And in this series this year, we have talked about how do you move God. One way was by offering a sacrifice. That's what Abraham did. Another, faith. Extraordinary faith. I'm not talking about average sacrifice or average faith. When people want God to do something extraordinary, they can't just act ordinary themselves. You've got to do something extraordinary on your part, that in turn gets his attention. That's where that passion thing comes in. Because people without passion act mediocre and ordinary. We've talked to you about not only extraordinary faith, we've talked to you about a whole number of things. Extraordinary intercession. Look at Rizpah. She got the attention of the king. Hannah prayed an extraordinary prayer. The result was Samuel was born. David had extraordinary desire for God. And even though he was of the tribe of Judah, 
He literally got to go into the house of God and see what human eyes were not supposed to see unless you were of the tribe of Levi, and that was the Ark of the Covenant, the beauty of God, Psalms 27. David got to see it. Today I want to talk to you about something else that moves God, and that is thankfulness. Listen to this. Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give God or give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. King James says, Made you whole. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to speak a word today that would cause our understanding to be electrified. For your word has the ability to do that. The road to Emmaus, they said, our hearts burned within us as you expounded the scripture to them. Let that happen to us today because you have the capacity to enter this room and speak a word of revelation through the anointing of your spirit by also giving us an anointing to hear that will forever change our lives we ask that you would do it for your glory and your name's sake. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. What is thankfulness? One of the problems of our modern age is that many of us have had our attention focused on negative issues for so long that it has affected our outlook on life without our even being aware that it has. Most of us do not even realize how slanted and negative our thinking can become. And we don't even know that's going on. The more I listen to the news, for example, the less I want to hear about what is going on in the world around me. And that's actually not good because I need to be informed and so do we all. But the problem is this, bad news sales. Are you aware of that? Good news doesn't. Good news doesn't interest anybody. There's actually a psychological reason for that. Psychologically speaking, the media presents the news in this manner because it is a fact that people will work twice as hard to keep what they already have than they will to gain something they don't have. And so what you do is whatever the story is, you pitch it where there is the perception of a threat against things that are important to you within that news event and immediately you've got a headline story. If it's a feel-good kind of story, throw that in at the very last, you know, the last 30, 15 seconds actually, not even 30. 
wrap up your one-hour program with that, and you think that you've balanced the news. You haven't. Listen, everyone has an issue in life that they can be upset about. That's me, that's you, that's the people around you. Every one of us have something going on. Have you figured that out yet? Have you lived long enough to figure out the fact that man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble? That's the world we live in, baby. This is a world that is beset with difficulty, stress, woe, all kinds of problems. And guess what? Just because you and I are a believer doesn't mean we're exempt from what happens as a result of living in a fallen world. I like to say it like this. We are a fallen race living in a fallen world that's ruled by a fallen Lord. And that's a sure recipe for difficulty any way you look at it. Now, I know that on the other hand, we have God with us. And I'm thrilled that even in the middle of a world that is filled with difficulty, we can still be blessed and be like the salmon swimming up the stream and nobody understand while we're going a different direction than the rest of the world around us. Amen. I love that about God. That while plagues are going on that are paralyzing the economy, the political system, the military might, and everything else, the social structure of Egypt, there was a little place called Goshen where the Hebrew people lived, and the plagues only could come up as far as the border of Goshen and could not cross over. <laughs> You're supposed to be recession-proof. Doesn't mean the rest of the world is, and doesn't mean you won't experience all of the difficulties that go along with this, but you see, you know, even though some of us might lose our job or whatever, we were never meant to look at our job as our source anyway. It was only a resource. And trust me when I tell you that if you can move God, he's got resources shell oil never thought about. Amen. Amen. God's got all kind of resources. Wells Fargo never dreamed of the resources that God has. He's unlimited in his ability. Amen. The problem is that when you deal with these kind of things and you see a constant presentation of such negativity as is going on in our world, it affects you. I mean, just let's look at a litany of just a few of the things. Uh, the Islamic uh, State. Anybody heard about that in the last 24 hours? Uh-huh. Uh, some terrorist activity somewhere. Iraq and the nuclear weapon, Iran rather than the nuclear weapon. Oh, North Korea, let's throw that in there too. And uh, let's talk about the recent uh, elections and, and woe and gloom that's come upon one of our parties. And, and I, I keep saying to people, you know, I'm not sure that it matters a whole lot actually who's in there. It looks to me like the same folk keep running things and making the same decisions. I found out, for example, guy heading up the Federal Reserve remained the same under Democrats and Republicans. And... and <laughs> You know, but we keep thinking we're going to change all of that. Look, as I've often said, we need to stop praying our Father, which art in Washington, D.C., hallowed be thy republic or democratic name. Am I saying opt out of voting? No, you need to vote. Use the power of your vote. But Christians ought to be a little bit more involved about speaking up for the values that we believe in. 
than we have been. But, I mean, you hear all of this negativity constantly about what's going on and this crime and that shooting and, and this mass murder and everything else that's happening. One of our men is a, a state trooper, and he's a commander with a lot of other guys under him. And they've moved him down to the border, he was telling me this morning. And they're having to patrol down there and said the residents there are loving it because they're saying the doors aren't getting kicked in like they were before and businesses robbed and them being held up. But he said the result is we don't have near the presence on our highways that we once had to ensure our safety the rest of the state. You know, I can feel for that, man. I, I mean, I understand a lot of negativity that is in our world and nobody really seems to know what to do. Well, guess what? You think negative, it affects the quality of your life. I wish somebody would say amen. Negativity leads to a loss of happiness, a loss of achievement, and a loss of accomplishment. Even when everything is going on, that's going on around you is good, negativity robs you of the ability to be able to enjoy it. Amen. Yes, it does. Even if things don't immediately become worse, you feel like they have. And if they haven't yet, you certainly feel they will before it's over with. You expect the worst rather than the best. And you spend your energy worrying about bad things rather than good things. You do. All of your thoughts are consumed with negatives. And you don't even realize it. It's like the story I tell about one of my friends in ministry and his grandfather immigrated from the old country. And he was quite a colorful character. And uh, Bill Sisko used to tell a lot of stories about his granddad. Immigrated from somewhere in Eastern Europe. And uh, came, settled in the state of Wisconsin. And he loved Limburger cheese. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that's that really nasty smelling stuff? Nasty, nasty, nasty. And I've never tried it. Can't get myself to go beyond the smell to try it. But his granddad loved it. And he had one of these big, bushy mustaches like guys used to wear years ago. And some are wearing now again. I'd wear one, I guess, but my, my beard would probably be white right now. So. And, uh, and at any rate, he got some Limburger cheese on his, on his mustache. And he was sitting in the kitchen. And he said, this whole kitchen smells bad. He didn't know he'd got some Limburger cheese on his mustache. He said, I'm going to the sitting room. He went to the sitting room, sat down, said, you know, even the sitting room smells bad. Went to his bedroom, said, I don't know what's going on. Even the bedroom stinks. Went out to the front porch because back in the day, you know, people used to sit in the rockers on the front porch, sat there, and finally looked around and said, the whole world stinks. And the problem was right there under his nose. Uh-huh. You get my point. When you're negative, you can't enjoy anything. We become like Boudreaux. Y'all don't mind me telling another Boudreaux joke, do you? A funeral service was being held in church for Boudreaux's wife who had just passed away. And at the end of the service, the solemn service, as the pallbearers were carrying the casket out to the hearse for the interment service that would take place later, they accidentally bumped into the wall during the casket. And everybody heard a faint moan emanating from the casket. They opened the casket and found that the wife was still alive. She lived for 10 more years and then she died. And once again, a ceremony is held at the same church. 
And at the end of the service, the pallbearers are once again carrying the casket out. And as they're walking out, Boudreaux, the husband, says, y'all watch out for that wall. Y'all remember what happened the last time. Y'all be careful. Amen. You can either be positive and expect good things or you can be negative and, or you can, and expect bad things to happen. I love the, old, the, the joke. Y'all heard this one? A cat dies and goes to heaven and God meets him at the gate. And this is not theologically correct, so you're not going to find this in Luke through Acts or wherever either, you know. And God says, you've been a good cat all these years. You can have anything you desire. All you have to do is ask. And the cat said, well, I've lived all of my life on a farm and had to sleep on hardwood floors. And God said, say no more. And instantly a fluffy pillow appeared. And a few days later, six mice were killed in a tragic accident. And they too went to heaven. And God met them at the gate with the same offer he made to the cat and tells them they can have anything they want. And the mice say, all of our life we've had to run. Cats, dogs, women with brooms, they've all chased us. If we had roller skates, we wouldn't have to run anymore. And instantly, God takes care of it and they're fitted with, with beautiful pairs of tiny roller skates. A week later, God checks on the cat, which is asleep, asleep on the pillow, and God gently nudges him awake and asks, how are you doing? Are you happy here? And the cat yawns and says, never been happier. And those meals on wheels you've been sending over are great. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. If you have a positive attitude, anything can be made to look better. Do you get my point? Even heaven is better if you're positive. But on the other hand, you can be walking through difficulty in life and still find a reason to rejoice if you have the right attitude and are looking for the right thing. The truth of us, the truth is rather that most of us are doing better. Can you agree with this? Than our grandfathers or our great-grandfathers ever did. Think about it. All the economic problems, ISIS, Islamic State, Iran, nuclear war, North Korea, all, everything that's going on, economic reversals, everything that's happened. Look, most of us are still better off than our grandfathers and great-grandfathers ever were. I was raised by my grandmother in my early childhood, and she, was, she lived during, raised a family of nine kids during the Great Depression. And I was raised on their form. As, a, as a, a, a little child, and, and I want to tell you something. Being poor is a relative thing. It really is. We, some of us, think we're poor because we don't have the latest model German car. Uh-huh. And you go to Africa, and poor people look at the poorest of the poor in America and think they're rich here. It's all relative. Can I hear somebody say Amen. When I was growing up, we didn't have a car. We raised our own food, and I mean nearly all of our own food. We raised everything. The only thing we went to store for was to buy flour and to buy bread every once in a while when they weren't making biscuits. Don't feel sorry for me. I had the time of my life when I was a kid. Amen. Homemade butter beans, chicken fricassee. Amen. Steak, rice, and gravy when you raise the calf yourself. Amen. Pork chops from pork you raised. You hear what I'm talking about? Eggs that were fresh and milk that you had to get up in the morning and go get from the cow. And 
Amen. Biscuits that Grandma made herself. Uh, don't talk to me and make me feel sorry about your situation. If you're living like that, it brings back too many fond memories for me. Amen. I didn't even know we were poor. In fact, we weren't poor. We were poor. Y'all know, y'all know the difference? But we didn't even know it. She sold eggs and milk to make a little money to buy the few things that we did need. I remember when I was a real small kid, we didn't even have indoor plumbing or electricity. We lived out in the country. Amen. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily all that old, though I am. (laughs) Getting a little north of where I used to be. Amen. But the truth of the matter is, it was that way in much of rural America in years gone by. But people knew how to appreciate what they had. And their appreciation caused them to have a better tomorrow than they had yesterday. Oh, hear what I'm saying. And so, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 9, listen to this. Because you see, things are not what make you happy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But for those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Paul is saying that it's not possessions that make you happy. And if you ever get hung up on things like that, you'll lose your happiness and could lose even your salvation. Now, that's one reason I love this story about the ten lepers. Leprosy is a terrible and tragic disease. It ravages the body. In biblical times, it was apparently very, very contagious. A much more virulent form of the disease apparently existed then than even exists today. Eighty percent of what I read on the Internet of people today have an immunity to leprosy. Eighty percent. But leprosy is a horrific disease, and you're talking to somebody that's seen a lot of people with leprosy and ministered in a number of different leper colonies in different parts of the world. It affects your nerve endings. One of the dead giveaways that you might be developing leprosy is when you develop numbness in certain places on your body. I knew a man one time that was a school teacher when I was a kid that developed leprosy. I think they call it Hansen's disease maybe or... Something like that now. And uh, Dr. Neal, I think, just said yes. But at any rate, he was standing in a shower. And he knew something was wrong when the water hitting him on the back. There was a certain area on his back where he didn't feel sensation to either the heat or the cold of the shower, regardless of which kind of water was coming through it. Areas of your body become numb. This in the Old Testament was portrayed as a type of, of sin. What sin does to you, it destroys your sensibility, your sensitivity. It works on you until you can do things that are wrong and you don't even feel conscious about that anymore. Paul warned about having our consciences seared with a hot iron where we lose the ability to even feel remorse or conviction over some things. Tell me that this society today has not developed spiritual leprosy. 
tell me that that's not the attitude that, it, that has affected our world. And is it contagious? You better know it. It's a horrific disease. You may have even seen people, and I'm going to gross you out because I've got a point to make. I want you to realize 10 men were afflicted with this disease, and look at what they look like. Amen. This is a poor lady, one poor lady that has this disease. You, you'll notice her nose is beginning to disappear in what they call saddle nose. You'll see that a little bit more maybe later. And the next slide shows somebody else, their hands. Look at this. Their fingers just fall off. And it's a horrific disease that disfigures your body, leaves you grotesquely, you know, just horribly, horrifically deformed. Look at the next one. This is someone's foot. Now, you can remove that because that's getting a little gross there, okay? And I realize it. But I brought these pictures up because I want you to realize Jesus looked at 10 men and that was their condition. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. Wait a minute, Lord. Don't you see this? I'm in a bad situation. I'm in a difficult circumstance. You're asking me now to walk on these destroyed feet of mine to go see a priest because there was a ritual that they were required to observe where the priest had to examine them and then he would pronounce them clean and there was a ceremony that then would be conducted. And these, these ten guys could have objected. You see, sometimes God will ask you to do things in the middle of your situation and you'll think, God, don't you know what I'm going through? And he already does know what you're going through. But if you can be obedient, there's a miracle getting ready to come into your life as a result of your obedience. You can move the high priest to act on your behalf. And these grotesquely deformed men took off together, all ten of them. And the Bible says that while they were going, they were cleansed. And the next uh, sentence says they were healed. Healed. That's what the cleansing meant, is that the fever stopped, the infection went away, the virulence, the pus, the, all of the corruption, while they were walking and hobbling on those, those woefully destroyed appendages of theirs, guess what happened? The pain stopped. The agony ceased. They were able to walk now. Now, I don't mean that their toes grew back. Because they didn't, but the infection was halted dead in its tracks. And God worked a miracle right there as they were going to see the priest. Why did Jesus ask them to go? Because everything in the kingdom of God operates on the basis of faith. You don't go to that kind of effort when you're in this type of situation going through this kind of trauma unless you believe God. And the problem with negativity is it destroys faith. It destroys faith. You're trying to protect yourself. But what you're really doing 
when you become negative is you're not protecting yourself but from anything other than your blessings. You're not going to stop one bad thing from happening by being negative. But what you will stop is the flow of God's supernatural goodness into your life. And these ten guys could have stopped where they were and said no. Uh, too much, that's cruel, that's heartless. You see our condition. How can you make such a demand? CNN would have been there. MSNBC, oh, you better know it. They would have all been lined up with their, their satellite dishes and cameras and everything else. This would have made headline news. Evangelists asked these men to do something impossible, earn their salvation or earn their healing. No, Jesus was saying that if you can act in faith, all things are possible to them that believe. And I want to tell you, Christian Tabernacle, all things are still possible when we act in faith, expecting God to do something on our behalf. I wish I had a better amen. While they're on their way, the fever stops, the sweating, the chills go away. The pus is no longer dripping. The pain has disappeared. And they look at one another in amazement. And now then, they're, they're healed. And nine of them say, man, I'm going to get to the priest even faster. But one guy says, hey, wait a minute, guys. Hey, fellas, aren't we forgetting something? What about the one that healed us just a while ago? Oh, we don't have time for that. Uh-uh, I got a family. I got a baby daughter I haven't seen in a long while. I want to hold my grandchild. I want to play baseball with my grandson. I got a business to get back to and run, and they've been running it without me because when you were a leper, you were not allowed to be a part of society. And you know what? One guy said, you guys can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going back to give thanks to the one that healed me. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah here this morning. One stopped and said, I'm going back. And when he gets to Jesus, he falls down and begins to worship him. Oh, because you let God show up in your life. You may have a hard time worshiping, but if God ever acts as a result of your faith, you're going to find it easy to lift those hands in the air. You're going to find it easy to come to church on Sunday morning. I'm preaching better and somebody's responding right now. I feel my anointing kicking in in this building. Ah, if God ever steps into the middle of your impossible circumstance and works out what nobody else could work out, it's not going to be hard for you to come to church and say, thank you, Lord. Amen. That guy went back and began to give God some praise. He became a worshiper. His negative mentality was turned around as he had an encounter with a living God. And Jesus then stops and says, weren't there 10? Why is only one returned? to give me thanks. And the one who returned, he said, is a foreigner, a Samaritan. Now, if there's anybody that ought to know better, it's those raised in the family of faith. 
if there's anybody, I mean, they should have been dragging the Samaritan with them and saying, come on here. But instead, he's the one trying to get them to go and offer thanksgiving to God. There's something wrong with this in picture, this picture. Something is upside down and inverted in this whole process. This man returns and Jesus says, where are the other nine? And then he looks at this man and says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. The others lived with disfigurement the rest of their lives. The others lived with fingers missing and toes missing. Others lived with the peculiar saddle nose of the leper. Others lived with this deformity and had to walk and limp like they, like they could barely get to where they were going, but at least they were healed. But the one that returned to give God some thanksgiving, that man was made whole. New fingers grew out. New toes grew out. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. Because when you're thankful, you move the high priest to act on your behalf. You get God involved in your situation. And I'm done, but what is thankfulness? It comes from the Hebrew word yada, which means to hold out the hand. The implication is that we're giving something as a response to what we have been given. That's literally what the word meant. And that's why they had yada offerings, thanksgiving offerings. Now, here's what I'm talking about today. In the middle of this, this campaign that we're in, some of us are going to be made whole. Hmm. Some of us, our finances are going to be made whole. Now, if you're visiting, I never speak on finances. To the herd of members of this congregation, I haven't. But I've had to because of where we're living in recent times. God's people have stopped being thankful. Now, I'm not complaining about this church. I'm saying that is the status of church across America and the world. Only 5% of Christians in America now tithe. 95 don't. Do you hear that? And really, what is the tithe? It already belongs to God. You're just giving him, I mean, I loan you my, my iPad and you give it back to me. What do you want me to do, fall down? Oh, bless you, bless you. You gave me my iPad back. No, it was mine. I loaned it to you. I did you a favor. You're supposed to return it. But do you know what an offering is? It's when you go beyond and what this Thanksgiving offering was that this man came back to give Jesus was an extension of his hand. I'm giving, I don't have much in it right now, but here I am. And do you know what he did afterward? It doesn't say it in the New Testament, but if you understand Hebrew scripture, you know the next thing he did was go offer a thanksgiving offering because you were required by the law to do so. And I'm wrapping it up right now, but I just wonder how many of us in this building only get healed when we ought to be made whole. We get healed and we, we drag that deformed foot for the rest of our lives. We, we try to hold on to things. We only have three fingers on each hand because 
we're still deformed or we're healed, but we didn't get made whole. I look at Psalms 107, 19 through 22. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Hmm. Has God done that for anybody in this house? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Don't know about you, but that's me he's talking about right there. God delivered me. God heard my cry. God sent his word and healed me. And then the psalmist said, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. How do you be thankful? Number one, look at your potential rather than where you are now. Look at your neighbor and say, look at your potential, not the problem. Would you do that? I'd rather be Joseph in, dungeon, in the dungeon than I would be his brothers living in Canaan. Because Joseph is on his way to the throne, but his brothers are on their way into a famine. You better be looking at your potential rather than where you are. Number two, count your blessings rather than your problems. 1 Corinthians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the middle of a death, in the middle of a loss, in the middle of, of a, a divorce, give God thanks. Why? Because you don't know what God will do to fix that thing before it's over. He'll heal you. Number three, to be thankful, correct your thinking. Proverbs 23 and 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A scripture that turned my life around when I was just a young man having just gotten saved. Oh, baby, I know what depression is. You were raised like I was raised. Depression is your number one best friend. I didn't even want to live. I despaired of life, contemplated suicide, came really close on one occasion to taking my own life. Because I thought if this is all there is to it, I don't want it anymore. And then I got saved and found Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are what? Lovely. Whatever things are of what? Good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things you got to change what's going on between your ears. you got to change your thought processes. And number four, just trust God. Don't let your circumstances affect what you believe about God or his commitment to you or your welfare. If God said he's going to take care of you, God's going to do it. Just believe it. Yeah. Amen. And so I've, I've been, we have a lot of different nationalities at CT. We've got over 40 different nations here. And I've traveled in a lot of countries, 102 now. And I, I've heard them say in Afrikaans in South Africa, buyer donkey, that means thank you. You hear somebody in South Africa say buyer donkey, that's how they say thank you. In Japan, I've heard them say arigato. In Germany, I've heard them say dankeschön. In Spain, I've heard them say gracias. In France, I've heard them say merci. In Swahili, in East Africa, they say asante sana. Russia, I've heard them say spasibo. 
in the Middle East, I've heard them say shukran. In Sweden, they say talk. In Hebrew, Israel, they say yashar koyach. In Philippines, they say maramin salamet. That's what they say in Tagalog. In Thailand, they say kupkan mak. That means thank you. In Nigeria, modupe. In India, shukriya. In Korea, kamsa hamida. In China, sheshe. Amen. In Uganda, walibaye nyo. Amen. In South India, nunri. In Rwanda, murakozi. I don't care how you say it. The point I'm making is wherever you are, you need to be saying thank you. Thank you to Almighty God. Could you stand on your feet right now?